Welcome back to Altivista Rise Up. I am Dr. Patricia Campos Medina. You can listen to this show on all my social media platforms and now on Spotify and other podcast platforms. Today, you will meet an amazing human being, a fellow generation Xer, I call him, because we all went to college and grew up in activism in the 90s. I have met him and worked with him in so many of our uh, fights for the civil rights of Latinos, for workers. Uh, it's a, a dear friend of mine, Rafael Collazo, now executive director of Unidos USA Action Fund, which is uh, the C4 arm of Unidos USA. But he's also a, a fellow podcaster with two uh, amazing shows found in Translation and Bomba Live. So let's welcome a Rafael Collazo. Good morning, Patricia. It's an honor to be on Activista Rise Up. And uh, the feelings are mutual. You're a great friend and a fantastic activist and a credit to our community. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, you know, you and I go back so far. I was trying to think, like, where did I first meet Rafael? And I think I met you in Washington, D.C., right? Right early on. I was with Blackfly. You were. Yeah. You know, yes. And if then, not a house party in Washington Heights, one or the other. Yeah. <laughs> one or the other. That's right. <laughs> because you also know a lot of my sorority sisters. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, yeah. it's, yes. it's all family for sure. Joanne and Liani and, and Karen, all our great friends. Absolutely. Yes. Madeline, all our great friends. Yeah. Yes. So I, you know, to me, it's sort of like I said, I have to have Rafael because we have so many um, issues that we work in common. But because you have always been a big champion of the work that I did with the labor movement and for activists, for activism. And so I just, you know, we got to elevate each other. So thank you for for uh, inspiring me to do this show because you were one of the first uh, folks out there doing a podcast. Uh, you were telling my story earlier that nobody was doing podcasts when you started. So why don't you t let's start there with that story. Yeah, well, actually, the journey goes back. Well, the journey really goes back to, you know, the 70s, because uh, I have to give credit to my father, who's also Rafael Collazo, who started in, in black radio, but also did a lot of uh, Latin radio. He was basically the first salsa radio announcer in Philadelphia, where we're from. And uh, and that's why I go by Ray with my podcast, because he was doing R&B radio in the 70s. And they said, well, Rafael Collazo, you know, we're going to call you Ray. So um, it really starts there. But um, but yeah, I started podcasting in 2013. And at that time, Patricia, that podcasting was very niche to tech heads and, um, you know, maybe a couple celebrities, a couple stand-up comedians. Um, that there was probably two or three prominent Latinos that were doing it. A gentleman, uh, Danny Pena, who's big in the gaming world. And actually, Salvador uh, uh, Paisana, Elsie Escobar, who we have to connect at some point. Yes, who's yes. sort of like a go-to. She's like a historic figure in podcasting. Former actress who's basically been a podcaster um, for quite some time. So they're really... Outside of the two couple pioneers, I was amongst the first several dozen Latinos that were doing Latino-specific content for sure. Yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. you know, and now um, it's uh, you know we're seeing an explosion of it in the Latino community. And I'm just excited that we have Latina voices like you, Patricia, that are spreading the word. Not only sharing your personality and your and your incredible personal story, but we really need to get your perspective on these political issues because we don't get it enough in the mainstream media. And that's that's the important part because I feel like. There's not enough of us with the platforms uh, to be talking from our perspective what all these political issues and just community issues. So I think that social media has done is open up the opportunity for all of us to um, to have this conversation. So 
thank you for inspiring me, for inviting me to your show. I was uh, I had been on your show several times, so it was time I'm, I'm paying it forward and paying it back at the same time. But before we go into uh, more of the political stuff, I love Bomba Live. And I love what you do there. And now I know why. So your father was in the radio. So because I, you had that DJ vibe on the show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. And I have a younger brother. If people know the hip hop world, that's also a rapper, Mario Coyasso, who goes by uh, Outer. Uh, his group is Outer Space. His rap name is Planetary. And my brother, you know, to his credit, he's he's much more famous than I'll ever be. He's traveled the world. Um, he's made four full-length uh, albums, and he's performed with every major rap artist we can sit here and name. He's performed with the De La Souls, the 50 Cents, Pitbull, uh, Cypress Hill, and he's gone Australia, Europe. It's incredible. He's got so an incredible story. You connected to a celebrity. I yeah, so, so I, I'm cool because he, I, wrote, I, I, I listen to what he's talking about, and I throw in a few things, and I sound a lot cooler than I am. So much yeah. respect to Mario as well. Well, no, I think that while you do mixing – Current news, current issues, and music and culture, and bringing that connection. I think uh, it's important because our culture is about that. It's like about celebration and and about like using it to survive. So I I wanted Absolutely. to you know I want to survive and thrive. Right, right. Um, well, the, our creatives have always been a big part of the leaders of our movements over time, and we know yeah. that. And yeah. and one of the things that I found in this journey, especially over the last year or so. Patricia, is that, you know, we've been able through the Bomba Live platform, by the way, Bomba Live 2, the next major Puerto Rican celebration we're going to have is going to be in June. So people should look out for that on our social media platforms. We just announced it last night on our show. But the the celebrity, the, the Latino artistic community is very interested in working more with people like us, Patricia. So some of the freestyle legends from our youth, like Betty D and uh, K7 for TK have been working with us. J.W. Cortez, the actor, uh, April Hernandez, wow. another famous actress. You know, they're 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 approaching us around how can we work we want to learn more about activism because we have a message and people you and know just assume that you yeah. know they're pretty faces and sing but yeah. they have a platform and they're actually as they've matured in their lives they actually want to get more involved in our space so yeah. it's been a very interesting collaboration and who who doesn't love music and, and we have to celebrate everything that we are yeah and another show that you have is uh founding translation which is like the more serious discussion official yes. so but people can also follow you on that uh, if they want a little bit more a serious side of you. But yes, yeah. yes. But um, one thing that I wanted to uh, kick off the serious discussion uh, of this show is that I am uh, congratulations. You got a, a new position, as I would say, a long time coming. Um, you are the executive director now of Unidos USA Action Fund. So I just want to applaud that. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Uh, and I was so happy to hear that because you've been doing this work for so long. So congratulations. And how, what does it mean for you to be able to, to lead that effort? Because you've been working and, and you've been leading it in so many ways. But what does it mean for you? For me, it means the world. I'm excited for you. But how do you feel about about taking on that role at this moment in time? Well, thank you so much, Patricia, for your generous words. It's interesting because, as you know, Patricia, we, we, we're, we, we're lifers with this, with activism and politics and advocacy. And I always tell people that people think the journey that people like me and Patricia on is a political journey. And it's actually really a personal, spiritual journey. Yes. So really what it taught me was a verification that, you know, like you're ultimately, you're not the one really in charge, you know, the big guy or gal upstairs is, and, uh, and you have to understand that everything come, you're given certain things at the right time. 
So, you know, in the, this this time where I didn't have this responsibility was time where our kids were getting were smaller. Now they're yeah. a little older. So that's yeah. you, you're never going to get that time back. Right. And um, and it gave me a chance to also grow my, my media platform. So so with this role, it's really, um, you know, on a, on a sort of organizational level, everyone, you know, Unidos U.S.'s footprint in the civil rights space is undeniable. Um, but it's really time for our C4 organization, our sister organization to take it to the next level. So we can really, really, you know, I mean, sky's the limit on the advocacy footprint and the political yeah. influence we could have with our C4 and our PAC, by the way, which I'm also yeah. running as part of these responsibilities. Yeah, so Unidos USA for me is like that quasi-centennial civil rights organization uh, for Latinos, right? From the from the uh, Mexican-America Chicano movement, from, um, you know, Raul Izaguirre. I, like, those were the heroes that I had when I was in college mm -hmm. or in high school. And then seeing how Unidos USA has transformed itself to actually being at the forefront of fighting for civil rights. I think, you know, um, to have somebody who I know and I consider a friend leading that effort together with Janne Murguia, because Janne is an amazing woman who has been Absolutely. And she's the president of the Action Fund. I'm the executive director. Yeah, she's the president. Uh, and she's an amazing figure. Absolutely. So, um, you know, one of the things, because Unidos used to be National Council of La Raza, and they, you got made this transition in name and now focus in, in, in that. But what, do, what is the core mission of Unidos and how does Unidos Action Fund complements that work? Sure. So the, the core mission of Unidos US simply is to expand opportunities for Latinos, for the betterment of Latinos and the whole society. So we have a sort of a core uh, four uh, issue issue buckets that we that we focus on around immigration, education, healthcare, and economic prosperity for the Latino community. And there's obviously a lot of sub-issues within those areas, um, but those are sort of the four areas. And when you poll Latinos, since the beginning, we've had good polling in the Latino community in this country, more or less, those are going to be the top three or four issues that always come up. And, and particularly healthcare, frankly, is normally the top issue. And we know the impact of the ongoing healthcare conversations in this country yeah. most acutely now with the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and really the C4, because as, as, as folks know, or if you're not aware, uh, nonprofit organizations can do a lot of great things, like services, some advocacy, but the nature of a nonprofit organization from a tax perspective is they are limited in sort of the advocacy and lobbying they can do. And they have to be nonpartisan. Yeah. So when you have a 501c4 sister organization, which is a separate, I have a separate board, I have a separate um, you know, budget and bank accounts, it's a separate entity, but a 501c4 organization from a tax perspective has the flexibility for unlimited lobbying. So, you know, I, every time I speak on behalf of the Action Fund, I don't have to be careful what I say, which is a blessing. And also it has the opportunity to do some, not unlimited, but some partisan political activity. So in 2020, we endorsed President, now President Biden in a yeah. slate of federal officials. Uh, we endorsed at times uh, gubernatorial candidates and potentially down the road leg state legislative candidates. So um, we have the ability to sort of uh, be a true political arm to the great work from a policy and programmatic perspective that Unidos US does day to day. And you and I worked together more recently when we, uh, uh, Unidos Action Fund, when you were the political director, uh, worked really hard to get Senator Menendez reelected. Absolutely. Um, that was a fantastic collaboration with the Lupe PAC. And, you know, that's one of Janet's favorite memories. It came up this week. We were talking about how we're going to continue to collaborate on some highlight New Jersey leadership here very soon. Um, one of her favorite memories is that we we worked together. You brought together an incredible group of Latina powerhouses, including, I believe, five Latina elected officials. Yes. With us. And we all together endorsed uh, 
our yeah. senior center for New Jersey, Senator Menendez. Yeah, and we did that amazing Latinas Vote New Jersey campaign, which yes. actually allowed us to have direct contact with Latina voters in New Jersey, which is, to me, what we as Latinos need to do more of ourselves be communicating our message on our issues to our Latino population and encourage them to participate. So to me, you said something in the announcement. It's like the it's an honor to lead an organization like that, but to be able to use it to impact uh, results for our for our community in the policy and political level. Because for a long time, other people had the money for politics, and we were the BCBs just doing the work. So, yeah. <laughs> so now that you are in charge, raising the money and deciding how to spend the money, what are your biggest priorities in terms of where do we go from the election? Because we sort of we show that we have the power to vote uh, mm -hmm. last election. Yes. We now do. we need to demonstrate that we have the power to enact policy. So, what are your biggest priorities coming into a Biden administration? and into this new generation of, of policy advocacy. Absolutely. So I think we have to take a step back because it really is a, we have to, in our, our my responsibility when either shows action fund is really to, to think strategically about where we're at now, sort of in our political directory, really thinking about the next 18 months, because you really have to think about these strategies in, in two-year federal cycles, because yeah. this all leads up to the 2022 elections which are not, I mean, we have 2021, we have some major elections in Jersey as well, but on the federal side in 2022 is going to be critically important. So thinking about where we're at now, you know, you could argue um, since November, 2020, Latinos have seen some gains in thinking about, you know, the, the bipartisan covertly package that passed in December, which expanded the amount of um, Latinos and mixed status families that would get yeah. some of these benefits. And we can talk more about that later um, for Latinos, including one Latina, even though we want to have more, but, now at least one Latina in Biden's cabinet and in critical positions that impact our community, small business, health, education, and homeland security, dealing with immigration issues. Um, we have this COVID relief package on the table again, which, you know, we obviously want to maximize, and you've already been a tremendous help in trying to maximize more access for uh, Latinos and, and Latino children in mixed status households yeah. through COVID relief relief benefits. And obviously the minimum wage conversation is not going the way we would like it to go. But nevertheless, that's a significant piece of legislation that's going to uplift a lot of Latinos out of poverty and help them get out of the economic and health crisis that we're currently going through through the pandemic. And now thinking about, you know, the fact that we have, now what passes is another story, but the fact that we have several comprehensive and acute and, and individual immigration bills on the table that yeah. we have an opportunity to advocate for. So I think we're, you know, we're, we're going in a, we're already seeing the fruits of the advocacy that we've done. Yeah. But now the question is, how do we wield our power to get these critical pieces of legislation across the finish line? So really, we're really having to respond to the current dynamics in Washington. So what's going on in Washington? The Senate, it's a 50-50 split. Yeah. So not only does that make it challenging to try to identify, for, in most cases, um, you know, 10 Republicans to be with us, but we also have to be cognizant that we have this, group of three to five swing senator Democrats that, you know, count themselves as moderates and in some cases have elections in 2022 where they have to balance, where they're balancing politically. We have to keep our base Latinos and African-Americans with us. We also don't want to, frankly, scare off white, you know, moderate voters because we don't want to look too friendly that we're prioritizing minority voters. I mean, that's the psychology, unfortunately, that we're dealing with. Yeah. One example where we've all dealt with this dynamic already in my role in the last few weeks was 
few weeks ago uh, when they were debating in, in the Senate um, with their voterama around who would receive some of these cash payments that'll be in the final reconciliation package. Yes. You know, a handful of Democratic senators shamefully voted for what was called the Young Amendment, which would have barred uh, mixed status families receiving any of these cash payments. And that included specifically three senators in the Southwest, Senator Hickelooper in Colorado and our two Democratic senators in Arizona, Kelly and Cinema, who would would be nowhere near Washington, D.C. without the Latino vote in their states. Yeah. So we quickly turned around and I'll, I'll retweet it so you can and tag you and your and your network on it, Patricia, but I know you saw it. You know, we, we, we quickly got out in terms of press and social media calling out these Democrats for that shameful vote. And in the coming and mobilized our local activists to demand meetings. And basically within a week, Senator Hickelooper in Colorado backed off and said, I made a mistake. And we've gotten some pass through calls into Kelly and Cinema to remind them, okay, now the final reconciliation package is coming up. Yes. We're paying close attention. Now you have a chance to redeem yourself and advocate and push so that these fam these mixed status families get the much needed health and economic benefits that they need right now. Yeah. One of the most um, important things that I think that Unidos does very well is to talk about how an investment in the Latino community is actually an investment in the future of, of the United States. You know, we um, I heard Janet speaking at a forum with the Rockefeller Foundation uh, in which uh, we were talking about how do we make our current economic system work for future generations. And I was very impressed, you know, one of the things that I do is I'm also an, an academic and I, I do study, you know, uh, workforce development and, and labor rights. And then I think that her observation that, listen, if we don't invest in protecting current families or in investing in our children, we're really not invested in America. Uh, uh, and that to me is like, what politics and policy making used to be about. It's like investing in our future and you know, using the tools that we have at our, our disposal to remind elected officials of that, I think is critical. No, absolutely. And it's so interesting you say that. I spoke about this last night on my show, uh, Patricia. So it's so timely because on one hand, we just had President Biden nominate and now have a confirmed um, Latino, Puerto Rican, in this case, in his case, uh, Sec uh, Secretary of Education, Miguel Cardona, which has yes. credible credentials, the former Connecticut State Education Director. So, you know, in one case, we have a great symbol and a great leader there on the front lines of it. But the reality is that education, I can argue, is, is you know, should be top of mind in our national conversations every day for what you just said. So instead of fighting each other and saying who should be here, who's legal, you know, who deserves what, we should be having a national conversation about, okay, how do we empower this next generation so that they all know how to code and they have the skills for this new technological global e economy. So, but, and look, let's be honest about it. And it's uncomfortable to talk about, but I would argue to be fair, part of the reason we don't have that conversation is because there's a huge chunk of those children in K through 12 that are Latino and black and African and minorities. Yes. And so because some people don't identify with this next generation of children as much, they're not prioritizing this conversation. And so it's, you know, so that's our responsibility to elevate these issues that frankly aren't as sexy in, in the national politics, state budgets for education, the appropriations for English language learners, um, the student debt crisis, which is going to increasingly impact yeah. the Latino middle class. Um, yeah. So, so this it's incumbent to have these conversations really frame, okay, what's really important, the nonsense of a couple of, you know, a couple of political celebrities or the, or the core issues that really impact our children day to day. Yeah. And then during the of the Trump years, right, during um, those periods, what was obvious 
to everybody is that that reality that there's a whole group of elected officials who want to ignore or want to like really like put a lead on what the reality of the growing changing face of America, which is more brown, more black, and more diverse. And that fear is what's driving a lot of this backlash from politics that, you know, we, we were able to think to the work, thanks to the work of needles and many civil rights organizations and grassroots, uh, organizers, you know, like in, in Florida, um, even in Florida, because I think that we, they didn't yeah. win a big margin because there's a lot of work with the Puerto Rican community. That's right. Uh, let's talk about that. Like, how do we, how do we, elevate the story of how much Puerto Rican did come out to vote, you know, everywhere else, you know, even though we didn't win Florida, but how, you know, how do we, you know, how do we elevate that story? Because You're talking my language, Patricia, talking about the Puerto Rican vote. So, you know, so not only, you look, I mean, we can talk about there's, you know, I mean, the central vote in Florida is prominent. So Florida, the the Latino electorate is is incredibly diverse. But yes, I mean, it's basically, it's roughly about a third Puerto Rican, a third Cuban, and a third everybody else, which is significant. But that's, you know, we have other conversations. We could dive into those nuances. I always like this conversation because, you know, we do have immigration and and a lot of other communities have to deal with not having citizenship and not having access to vote. But the Puerto Rican communities are citizens, you know? So we have to sort of talk about it in a different way about how do we move, uh, just raise that awareness of voting rather That's right. than that other stuff. So, I mean, yes, tell so me that, how but, we do that work better. That's right. And 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 we've done this analysis, we've talked about it, but it, it um, the Puerto Rican vote was very influential in a lot of, in several states. I mean, look, Jersey wouldn't be as blue as it is without Puerto Rican voters um, and Latino voters and minority voters. Pennsylvania, critical swing vote, Wisconsin, you know, especially with those tight margins, there's a prominent Puerto Rican community and Latino community, Milwaukee and, and other communities, the Ohio's and other places. But the bottom line is that, look, for two years, we were raising the drumbeat around this issue in Florida, that there was a, there was a beginning of misinformation, particularly in Spanish language, directed not just at the Cuban community, but at the Latino community and the Spanish-speaking communities of, of Florida. And unfortunately, Democratic Party progressive movement did not fund the counterbalance you know, nearly to not only early enough, but but yeah. healthy enough to yeah. counterbalance the misinformation that the other side was was spewing. And again, mostly misinformation. Yeah. And people have to understand, you know, Puerto Rican community, like every other community, is diverse. We have a very significant and now growing sort of mainland because it's coming from the island, evangelical community. And when Puerto Rico started moving to Central Florida over the last 10, 20 years, you know, that was because we don't have a strong nonprofit or community service infrastructure in Florida that the, the church and specifically these more conservative evangelical churches became sort of the, the, the place where people got support and, and, and uh, camaraderie and got help with basic services getting set up in the community. So we, there's a lot of, um, a lot of work that had to be done. I'm, we're fortunate in the U S that we started voter registration in 2019 and before the pandemic had already registered almost hundred thousand Latinos, the majority of which were Puerto Rican with our work in central Florida. And what we heard was, and what we heard throughout this cycle, and it's not, unf- and you know this, Patricia, it's not new, yeah. is that, wow, nobody's knocked on my door, or a Democrat hasn't knocked on my door. Nobody from Biden's team has called me, and they're not, you know, these are people that are probably generally center-left people, yeah. but they just want someone to reach out to them and listen to what their concerns are in language, culturally competent, and listen to their specific concerns. A Puerto Rican had just moved here, 
from from the campo in Puerto Rico has different needs or different you know issues than someone that's of a different generation that immigrated here from Colombia, you know, in a you know with a different experience. So it's 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 they on some level there are nuances, but on some level it's basically organizing. Basically. You got to talk to our community and listen to our yeah. community, and have people like Patricia lead these kind of campaigns because and this is something our great friend Chuck Roach has been elevating. Yeah. Yes. Frequently online is that, you know, whether it's the Democratic Party, political candidates on both sides or different movements, not enough Latinos and specifically Latinas are being given the resources to lead these efforts. And that is why you leading now, Unidos USA Action Fund is so exciting to me because it's more of us stepping into those roles to make those decisions. And I, I am sure that you will uh, focus uh the time in driving that debate with both the Democratic right. and the Republican Party. Um, you know I'm a big proponent of uh, Latinos running for office, of Latinas running for office, and also creating that platform. I'm also a, a big proponent of if we get our own people elected, we also have to organize so that they push our issues. Like we don't want them elected just to be elected, just to be there. We want them to have this the 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 grassroots power to drive our issues. So are you going to focus on that area of the work as well? So there's a few things there. That's an excellent question, Patricia. Um, one is that on the sort of advocacy side, you're absolutely right. And this is a dynamic we see on the federal level. We all see it on local level as well, is that, you know, I think we have about, we actually lost a few CHC members <laughs> this last go around because oh. some of the districts swung to Hispanic Republicans in Florida and Texas. But nevertheless, you know, when we get a, a, a new CHC member or just a, a Latino that's in Congress, Yes, it's exciting and they're generally doing good work, but we have to push them too because a lot of them are in safe districts and a lot of them, you know, a lot of them have a lot of different, uh, you know, people pulling at them to advocate for their issues. So we need them to be more visible, more aggressive. And so when we have an opportunity to elevate champions, like uh, I think about Congressman Chuy Garcia that took that that took um, took over from the Illinois yeah. Congressional District with yeah. the a champion for a variety of issues. Yeah. When he's, he's doing the right thing, he's working hard, he's elevating the voiceless in our, particularly in our immigrant community, we're here to elevate him, support him. And then with others, and I don't want to get into specific names, but people that generally do good work, but could be a little more visible yes. and, and kind of get out there a little bit more. We have to be there to push. Yes. We have to be there to push and, and also provide them platforms. So before the pandemic, I was, as you know, zigzagging around the country, doing town halls and virtual events with uh, members, all of Latino leaders all over the country in Florida, Texas, Colorado, California, so we could also elevate their issues because especially with these social media channels, this is a great avenue to let the community know what's happening in our community. Because the reality is a lot of people don't even know their congressman is, much less what's the good work that they're doing. So exactly. that's an area that particularly with our Latinas, and we really try to take extra care with the Latinas in Congress, uh, Congressman Garcia in Houston, Congresswoman Escobar in Texas, obviously AOC, Senator Catherine Cortez Masto. Most people don't realize we have a Latina in the Senate who's fantastic yes. um, and a great champion, but she's not one of those people that she's, very typical to many Latina leaders. She's so busy doing the work, she's not sitting around on media showing off about it. So we have to elevate her 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 profile to show yeah. the good work that she's doing. Yeah, and you no know, Nevada is such an amazing place of the uh, to elevate the role that Latinos have played to make that state blue. And I'm the sorry. fact that she got elected, and you know, like, you know, she's a woman senator, and we she's focused on doing the work, not on like boasting about it like our senators from florida or texas exactly so, <laughs> so okay. i um but i want to elevate nevada because I, I remember when we used to go to nevada it was it was a 
a red state. You know? Yes, it was. Yeah, when we first started. I, out there, was yeah. so hard. I, I, I organizing uh, Latino workers over there, and the same with Virginia. You know, remember Virginia when it was? I mean, I grew yeah. up there. It was a red state. It's, it's Latinos who changed Virginia blue. In the and, and specifically, Central Americans, Central exactly. American Latino voters, and organizers. You know, organizers. About all of our great friends in yeah. Northern Virginia, specifically that that made it happen. Is, is to your point, Patricia. We're talking about. There's work that people like you were doing and, uh, and me and others in those kind of communities, thinking about my friend Andres Ramirez in Nevada and all of our great yeah. friends in, in Virginia, City mm -hmm. Benavides and Lenny Gonzalez, all these wonderful yes. people, yeah. is that there's work they were doing in 204, 206, 208. Now we're seeing the fruits of it. So Arizona didn't happen in terms of flipping in 2020 because of Biden and the Democrats last year. No. And even because of Trump and his nonsense. It happened because... In the apart in the late 2000s, aughts, 2000s, when Arpaio really was was focused, Sheriff Arpaio in, Cal in Arizona was basically criminalizing Latinos all over the place. Mm -hmm. Latinos responded in this decade of movement, you know, sort of analogous to the Stacey Abrams led movement of black voters in Georgia, yeah. led to this movement. So organizing is not a short term. There's no short term fixes, and it needs sustained, consistent investment. Not only to mobilize the voters, but to cultivate the leaders to your talking about Patricia. So how many of our friends were activists, organizers, now are local elected officials, now members of Congress? Yeah, and it's, a, it's the work of building up uh, resources in our community by fighting for like local issues, you know, housing, jobs, right. defending yourselves when you're being attacked, like uh, like um, in, in Arizona. So it's not an easy fix. That's what, I, and you and I have talked about this. You cannot just pour money into a state for six months and think you're gonna flip it. You have mm -hmm. to work hard for years uh, to do that work. And many of our leaders have worked with very little resources. Like, so we were talking about no, what Stacey Abrams did in Georgia, it, you know, she got money maybe in the last two years, but she was doing that work way before with no money, you know? So imagine what she could have done <laughs> with more. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And in, in Georgia, I think that there's a lot of amazing organizing going on in Georgia with Latinos of uh, in that in that state. Um, so, I mean, you have some great uh, um, member organizations in Georgia. So maybe you, we can elevate some of the story because to me, it's important to say, we're everywhere in every state. And when there is a movement to demand a voice, most of the time we're there. We are there in that movement. We just don't have the, the attention on it. No, absolutely. You know, and Georgia is really a reflection of the changing demographics of our country. So when we think about sort of the Sun Belt, a lot of people think about the Southwest, which is obvious. I mean, that was Mexico. I mean, there's a historic major Latino communities from Texas to California and, and throughout the, the Western states. And then obviously there's a historic Latino Latino communities in Florida, which are diversifying and, and dynamic, but again, a, a history. But really thinking about Virginia being sort of the first domino, that the state that flipped in the traditional deep South. South yeah. um, and now we're seeing, you know, with growing Latino communities in North Carolina, people forget North Carolina, it stayed red, but it was very close. And part of that's the voter suppression that takes place there. Part of that was, you know, the Democratic Senate candidate you know, disappearing because of his ridiculous scandals. Um, but part of that was the organizing that's happened in the black and Latino communities decade plus. Same for Georgia, which ended up flipping, you know, tipping, not just because of the African-American vote, which obviously was dominant, but, you know, the difference, I think, in the election was 14,000 votes. Yeah. And we're look, we just uh, have analysis that's being released. And our friend Chuck Roach is on the lead of this, 
that that uh, Biden got a net hundred thousand votes out of the Latino community in Georgia. And so, you know, we're seeing growing numbers in the Tennessees. I just got off the phone this morning with Latino leaders in Kansas because they have yeah. a growing population. That's where our president, Janet McGee, is from. They said, we want to start running more elected officials. Um, there's obviously they have a Native American woman that's in Congress there, Sharice Davis. There was a Puerto Rican woman, the mayor of Topeka, Kansas, Michelle de la Isla, who yes. ran for Congress last time. So they have a growing community and growing movement. And so there's a lot of activism that's taking place in places you wouldn't even realize. Um, but it's again, it's about giving a capacity and, and the local, one of the many local groups we work with, Galeo. Um, Jerry Gonzalez runs that organization in Georgia, did a fantastic job, not only in November, but for the runoff. So there was a period there where they were able to register several thousand Latinos after November, but before the January Senate elections. Um, and, and those folks down there just uh, just did a fantastic job. Yeah. So we have, you, me, a lot of people that we have mentioned have been doing the work of organizing Latino voters for a long time. So um, what, you know, what we saw last November in, in the votes is sort of like an affirmation of, of all the work that we have um, that we have done. But there were so many times that it felt like it was not going to happen. So in those times, like what inspires you to keep working to like build this political power that we know exists in our community? What kept you going? I'll tell you what, I, you know, it's been different things over the years. You know, earlier in my career, it was the fuel from the interaction with the voters. Um, and there's nothing about there's no better psychology lesson, history lesson, political science lesson than going around doing door knocking around anything, issues, political candidates, nonpartisan work, whatever it is, because you learn so much from people you think you know, because yeah. they're your neighbors, your friends um, in that experience. But more recently, I would say, and you know, some of the women in the back office here producing your show are examples of this. It's really this new generation of activists, um, you know, this new generation of Latina, mostly Latina, frankly, activists that are very savvy on social media, you know, sort of AOC is sort of their muse in many ways. Um, but they're just really inspiring because they're very passionate. They're very savvy around organizing offline and online. They're yeah. very intersectional. Yes. So they understand, you know, the intersection between race, class, uh, gender issues, the environmental movement, um, labor rights, uh, the connection with what's going on in Latin America. So, you know, their, 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 um, their well-roundedness around how to approach these issues and their passion um, is, is really inspiring. I'm really sort of the, I'm really kind of a, a civil rights baby. You know, my parents were 60s and 70s brown power activists. And so that was kind of, you know, kind of like the orientation that history I came out of. This new generation is just paving their own path and it's very exciting. Yeah, I would. I, would, I just interviewed a young activist that you will get to hear in, in one of my shows. And what inspired me about, I'm totally with you there, but what inspired me about how they engage in activism is that they create their own space, their own platform, and they, you know, they say, I am here and I am proud and this is what I want and demand it. So, to me, I'm with you, young people, step into the moment, I think, and help all, um, us and um, everybody accountable for what they're, what this country has promised them and hasn't delivered. I, I, I'm glad you brought up that piece because, and it's interesting being on the other side of it, because they are holding us accountable. They're holding, you know, the traditional Latino leadership class, whether they're elected officials or 
activists yeah. or institutions, yeah. they're holding us accountable in a very interesting way. And um, and they're bringing up so many conversations. I was I was monitoring the and actually Central Americans um, as they grew in numbers in the Southwest, the younger Central Americans led this conversation about colorism in our community. Yeah, that you know was sort of you know percolating on social media and Twitter um, as 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 they were coming of age and and not seeing their racial identity reflected in, you know, kind of traditional Latino settings. And so now we're seeing this as a very prominent sort of central conversation in our community around, you know, how do we support and elevate the acute issues related to the Afro-Latino and indigenous Latino community. And so they're, um, you know, they're, they're really leading a lot of these conversations in a very provocative way. Yeah. You know, and and it starts as simple as calling themselves Latinx and we probably have to have our conversation about that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's controversial with the older uh, Latino population. And I grew up in the nineties where we were fighting to be called Latino and and get rid of Hispanic. So they affirm their intersectionality and their different um, you know, I, identities on gender base and racial race and call themselves Latinx. To me, it's like, great. They are asserting themselves and it's up to us to let them lead us to the next round of struggles in this country. So I am looking forward to putting the baton down one day and, and for the new generation to take over and, uh, and lead the way. What is next for you? Like, what is it that you want to get done now that you have the ability to drive the agenda? No, absolutely. So I think it was very important sort of short term is, you know, we're really going to have, I mean, we're going to have this, this debate over the next few weeks around the COVID relief package. You know, obviously, you know, the, the, the minimum wage conversation is going to be very challenging. Our main focus with that, with that specific package is going to be this immigrant inclusion piece. So we're going to, you know, we're going to hold, you know, both Republicans and Democrats. So the, the Senator Rubio's who say they're with immigrants they say they're with Latinos and Latin Americans in the state of Florida around the country, but what are they really doing? Traditionally, yeah. not much. So we're going to hold him accountable. We're going to hold our our moderate senators that have tons of Latinos in their community um, accountable to, to to supporting immigrant inclusion in this bill. And then our 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 um, our focus is really going to be this legalization conversation. But these, you know, there's an immigration, there's a comprehensive immigration bill, there's a Dream Act bill, there's an essential worker bill. So as they move the legislative process, we're really going to be uh, ratcheting up our efforts, particularly in Florida, frankly, um, yeah. and calling on Senator Rubio to, hey, it, it, d- highly doubtful we can get 10 Republicans unless we get you leading that bipartisanship. And he has done that in the past with Senator Menendez and other packages, but that he's really got to now take some leadership, stop worrying about chasing around Senator Trump and the rhetoric and be a leader. And let's get this done for various parts of our community, including your community, of course, uh, the El Salvadorian community is heavily impacted by the TPS uh, yeah. dynamic and, and many other communities. People, yes, I always said that if Senator Rubio was brave enough to step into his identity and his role as a young uh, Latino senator and lead the Republican Party that I think he could make a lot of things happen. So it's disappointing sometimes to see him fa- be uh, follow the negative and 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 um, and like vicious side of the of what the Republican side ha, uh, party has become. And if, so, I could, and if I could just add to that, you know, to be honest with you, the best thing that happened to Marco Rubio was Ted Cruz, because <laughs> Ted Cruz is so out there and so ridiculous yeah. and so shameful. I mean, que vergüenza. First of all, forget everything else. How do you let someone talk to you about your wife like that? I mean, yeah. this before I could even think Bob. I mean, I can't even imagine. I can't. But the the you know the the 
because he gets a pass. He gets yeah. a pass a lot because eh, he's a younger Latino guy and he's friendly and like Bosa, Colombiana. All those dynamics come into play. Let's be honest about it. But the reality is the guy's the guy has a lot of power that could do a lot of things. And he yeah. says a lot of nice things and he puts little biblical quotes on Twitter, but he's really not doing anything for our community. It's really shameful. And so really we have to, you know, we have to focus and we have to call him out and we have to mobilize our community down in Florida. And we've been having some, uh, to preview this, you're going to see in the coming weeks, Patricia, a, a, a very broad coalition of dreamers, Central Americans that are engaged in the TPS issue in South Florida. And we're working a lot with the Venezuelan community. So um, you're going to see a historic collaboration we're going to announce here in the coming weeks because we're working across a lot of spectrums and a lot of intersections to work together to try to legalize uh, our undocumented population, many of which are essential workers and do so much for our country. Well, you and I could speak forever because we have so many issues that we care about, but you know that anytime you need my, uh, my help, my support to amplify, I'm here to help you uh, be successful in your new role, but also help our community uh, find their voice in whatever way I can, whether it's in Florida, whether it's in Virginia, whether it's here in New Jersey. I oh, think, yeah. uh, you know, we have so many things that we can do together. And I'm so excited that you are leading this effort and that, um, you know, and that we are here, like we are taking the baton now. Uh, and our role now is to empower others uh, and hold them accountable. So, Absolutely. yeah. So I thank you for your time. I we I'll bring you back in another show so we can talk more up today. You know, let's well, talk about. Yeah. <laughs> but I wanted to uh, just uh, you know just say thank you for all you do. Thank you for the inspiration you provide to others, and let's keep working to uh, make sure that you know Latinos have the opportunity that we deserve to to uh, to achieve our dreams. Absolutely. And I, I just encourage your follow. First of all, thank you so much, Patricia, for your leadership. You know, you know, I've always said you're one of the realists in the game um, and uh, just a, a true leader in every way. And your family, you know how much I care about all you got, your whole network. And the uh, you know, I just want to encourage people to follow what we're doing at the Unidos US Action Fund, Unidos USAF on social media. If you want to check out our podcast, uh, Found Translations podcast on social media is FIT underscore talk show. You can find that everywhere and Bomba Live or Bomba Live PR. For the, the fun stuff, and, and we're going to have a, a major event in June, a virtual Puerto Rican celebration. We just announced uh, the freestyle legend Betty D is going to be our primetime host. So we're going to have a lot of celebrities, and, and we're going to see if we can squeeze Patricia on there. Uh, yeah. she's, uh, she's part of the Puerto Rican family uh, to be on Bumble Live. So thank you so much for this opportunity again. And, uh, again, congratulations on Activista Rise Up. Thank you so much. Uh, let's see, we can talk politics, we can talk music, we can talk culture. We can talk uh, Cub Scouts. The, the Cub Scouts. Let's yes. do it. Yeah, let's do it. So thank you so much. I look forward to it. And like, let's keep at it. Absolutely. Thank you. So much to do. So many exciting campaigns coming up in our community. Follow Unidos USA Action Fund. Sign up for their alerts and take action. And to keep up with all that is exciting about activism in the United States and around the world, follow me on my social media handles. And now listen to me, to my show on Spotify and other podcast platforms. Thank you.